The medical information communicated in this podcast is of a general educational nature. If you are feeling unwell, please seek the attention of a medical practitioner. Any advertisements promoted throughout the podcast are not endorsed by the presenter or any of the guests interviewed. Hi there, welcome to MediTalk, a medical podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You're with Danae. According to the World Health Organization, anemia is a global health problem. It is estimated it affects 25% of the world's population, which equates to 2 billion people. Iron deficiency is the most common type of anemia, and it impacts people of all ages, men, women, from the elderly through to young children. And it can make us feel fatigued, breathless, but it can also cause us to have difficulty in exercising, concentrating, and can increase our susceptibility to infection. But interestingly, iron deficiency can also lead to behavioural or learning difficulties in children and in adults. So today we will speak with internationally recognised expert in iron deficiency, Dr Jaya Surya from Next Practice in Cloverdale in WA. And Dr Jaya Surya was actually the first general practitioner in Australia to coordinate an iron clinic in a primary care setting. And he's asked to speak regularly both internationally and nationally on iron deficiency. He has found in his own clinic, 80% of women were found to be iron deficient. So today he wants everyone to know that iron deficiency is definitely a women's health issue and that we all should be made aware of our iron levels as it is just so important for our health and well-being. Hi Dr Pradeep, thanks for joining us today on MediTalk. It's a pleasure to be here. So we're talking about a big topic, iron deficiency. So what led to you being interested in iron deficiency? I guess as a GP, uh, we see a lot of iron deficiency in in our day-to-day practice and not a a single day would go past without uh, me seeing someone with iron deficiency. So that's been a long-term interest, but I guess uh, over the years and in being in practice for as long as I have, you see the impact of iron deficiency on people, on how it affects people's quality of life but also it affects the wider health system in terms of uh, its impact on hospitalisation rates and, and other illnesses. And, uh, and about six years ago, I was uh, invited to a, uh, a workshop uh, done by the National Blood Authority who were looking at improving the management of people with iron deficiency. And that uh, at that workshop, it became apparent to me that a lot of iron was being managed in hospitals. And I came back and I thought, well, why isn't this being done at a general practice level and, mm. and more specifically at a community level? Because really this is an issue that should be managed uh, within primary care. And is that because really GPs are at the cold face and they are seeing you know, the general population every day with iron deficiency more than probably in the hospitals. Absolutely. And, and also we, we know our patients fairly well, so we yes. can pick up on, on, on symptoms fairly quickly. And then the treatment is not difficult and it's, uh, and it's fairly straightforward. And it, it involves following a, a certain set of guidelines and, uh, and protocols. So, uh, so we came back and, uh, and one thing led to another and eventually we set up a community-based uh, iron infusion clinic mm. in Belmont, which, uh, which was the first of its kind in Australia and, and possibly the world. And that's been highly successful, but it was successful because we were able to demonstrate to my GP colleagues that this is something that we can manage in primary care. And also that you made a difference, obviously, to patients' lives. Exactly. And that that was the most satisfying 
thing about iron deficiency, and, and iron deficiency, unlike other conditions we treat like diabetes, hypertension, uh, so and so on, we, where we're essentially treating numbers, mm. here we're actually treating people's symptoms and they actually feel better and you see a dramatic improvement uh, in their lives and that's incredibly satisfying mm. uh, for us as practitioners and, and for patients it's, uh, it's often life-changing for them. Right. So what is iron <laughs> and, and what is iron deficiency? Well, iron, iron uh, is, is, uh, uh, is central to everything we do. It's, okay. it's an essential mineral and, uh, and everyone, when, when you think about iron, people think about blood because yes. everybody knows that it's a, it's a component of haemoglobin which in turn is necessary for transporting oxygen around your body. So when you're deficient in iron, eventually you become anemic and then you become uh, shortness of breath and tired and fatigued and so on. But what most people don't realise is that you actually need iron in every cellular process. So in terms of energy production and metabolism in in your heart and your muscles, iron is is crucially important. And, And having sufficient iron is uh, is uh, is a critically important part of that. Right. So then, is iron deficiency therefore common in the community? Uh, it is. So worldwide, if you look at iron deficiency, it's the commonest nutritional disorder. Uh, you'll be staggered to know that 25% of the world's population suffer from iron deficiency. Wow. Uh, and, yeah, so, and most of that is due to malnutrition. Now, fortunately, in Australia, that's not the case, obviously. And we didn't have any good prevalence figures for what the, uh, what the incidence of iron deficiency is in the community. But uh, recently, we've done some work with GPs, and we estimate the prevalence to be around 12%. Now, that's a big, big number. Mm. Uh, uh, to compare that, diabetes is, is less than that. Right. And... Uh, it's around 10%. So this is a very common common problem. Mm. And and more so because we knowing that figure, we know that most people are not treated for it. So that means that there's a lot of people out there who have symptoms, who have iron deficiency that aren't being treated. And and they they're the people we'd uh, we'd like to uh, uh, see. like to see. Yeah. And so in terms of um, iron deficiency, what are some of the common and not so common symptoms that people should be looking out for? Uh, that's a good question. So, so the the common symptoms that everybody knows about is tiredness and fatigue, mm. uh, and and that's easy. But the problem with iron deficiency is that it it can occur at any any age, uh, from children to adolescents to uh, premenopausal women to elderly, and depending on which part of the age spectrum you're at, the symptoms can vary. So, for example, in children, uh, some of the symptoms may be uh, learning disorders, uh, poor mm-hmm. attention, uh, attention deficit disorder, uh, irritability. Uh, in later in life, it could it's associated with depression, um, postnatal depression, uh, yeah. restless leg syndrome when when people get those twitchy legs, yes. uh, which some of the elderly patients suffer from, is is commonly associated with iron deficiency. It's a very good question you ask yeah. because, uh, as I said before, we've been, si- we've been diverted by focusing on iron in relation to blood, but now we're having a bit more research focusing on iron in relation to those other organs and we're finding significant associations. And the evidence now is building 
uh, and there's a whole range of symptoms uh, that are emerging. And that's a much a work in progress uh, as much as anything now. And so when you talked about that iron deficiency, there's nutrition is an important factor and we're living in a Western society surrounded by lots of food. <laughs> is it more the quality of the food maybe that we're not getting the iron from our food or...? Yeah. Another great question, Dana. Uh, you've obviously been researching this. Uh, so the, in, in the past it was thought that uh, clearly malnutrition isn't that much of an issue in Australia. Uh, yes. is it, uh, sure, there are some, uh, some pockets where, where that is, but it's certainly not a common cause. So if you look at the groups that the, the nutritionally deficient groups in Australia are the young women who are overweight who are on very restricted diets. Mm. Uh, they're the ones who are running into trouble with iron deficiency. But there was a myth, uh, and, and it is possibly a myth, that vegetarians and vegans are at, at higher risk of getting iron deficiency. So being on a vegan diet uh, per se doesn't put you at high risk, but mm. being on a very restricted diet does. Right. So we're, we're careful not to generalise uh, too much. Diet. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So... So just to digress, so when, when it comes to vegetarianism, mm. uh, there are two types of iron in your diet. We call it heme iron and non-heme iron. Okay. So the heme iron is what you get from meat, poultry uh, products, yes. which is really well absorbed and, and the non-heme iron isn't. So the thinking was that because vegetarians are only having the non-heme iron, mm. that the absorption is less so they become iron deficient. But there's some really good work done recently around iron metabolism and, and try not to make this too complicated because mm. it is a very complex area, is that iron is actually a very tightly regulated substance in, in our bodies. Yes. We, we don't lose a lot of iron, but there are of inherent uh, regulatory systems that keep your iron levels constant. Right. So when your iron levels are low, it there, there are mechanisms in your body that increases the absorption of iron from your body. Okay. So when vegans might have a low iron intake because of their non-heme intake, yes. but their absorption is higher, so they compensate for that. So the body's very um, clever in that it knows that it's important for the body to function, so it finds ways right. of getting it or absorbing it into exactly, your body. Exactly. So so iron, and, and that highlights the fact as, as to how important iron is mm. for the, your, your body's uh, various cellular systems, that there's a very complicated and sophisticated regulatory system that keeps it under control, yeah. which is why when we see people with iron deficiency, we worry about them and we mm. take it seriously because it tells us that that system has broken down and that there's something radically going wrong and which is why we need to treat iron deficiency as a serious condition mm. and, and treat it appropriately and correctly. Does iron deficiency, when you were speaking before, that it can present, for instance, in children with perhaps attention deficit or, you know, maybe lacking a bit of attention in or have some learning difficulties in school or in learning and then perhaps... Um, some people might suffer depression or they're feeling sad or having some of those sort of feelings. Is that then a concern that people may be treated for another condition that perhaps they could be iron deficient and if they address the iron that can help those conditions? That's right. Uh, so, so the iron deficiency 
is associated with those conditions. So, okay. So treating the iron deficiency will help. Yes. You still have to treat those conditions. Other underlying uh, conditions, and, yeah. and, and they have to be assessed and, and, and treated appropriately. But the but correcting the iron deficiency may may improve uh, the the severity and the intensity of those uh, problems. Oh. Uh, so so it's a confounder, or it, it's a, it's a co. Uh, cohabitor, if you like, of, uh, of of those problems. Okay. So if someone's out there and they may have those conditions, is it worth then them going to their doctor and talking about their iron levels or, or at least being aware of what they are? Exactly. So so I think if, 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 you, if people have any of those symptoms are discussed, the iron certainly needs to be checked and that needs to be dealt with independently. But yes. I think... I think it only highlights the fact that uh, these entities are complex and, yes. and you really need a holistic sort of approach to managing them. Okay. And, and the iron is certainly one part of that. And so then who is at risk of iron deficiency? I was asked that recently at a conference uh, and, and if you look at the guidelines, there's a whole list of people and basically it's everybody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyone <laughs> in a human body <laughs> who exactly. requires blood should That's right. think about so, iron. <laughs> so, so, so I guess uh, there are some groups who are more yeah. uh, at risk than others. And, and I guess uh, just run through some of those groups. Yeah, we talked sure. about children where the, uh, the cause is nutritional. Yes. And in adolescence, it's another age category where we see a lot of iron deficiency. And, and they get iron deficient because they're growing very fast yes. and, they, and their demand out there strips their supply, so they get a relatively iron, iron deficient very rapidly. Uh, the other group is, uh, is uh, premenopausal women who may have heavy menstrual bleeding. Mm -hmm. Now, I know this uh, talk is not about heavy menstrual bleeding, but again, that's another area where there's a lot of interest recently, and, yeah. and we believe that uh, there are a lot of women put up with uh, periods that they classify as normal, mm. but in fact, it's not because they're losing uh, too much blood and too much iron and they're having a lot of symptoms as a, as a, as a consequence. Yeah. For example, blood donation is, yeah. is, is, a, is a group. So people who frequently donate blood uh, can become iron deficient because, again, it's like having losing blood. Yeah. Uh, and the blood service doesn't routinely test your iron. They test your haemoglobin before they take your blood but they don't test your iron. Oh. So you can progressively deplete your iron reserves. So although you're doing the right thing by helping other people, sometimes you need to help That's right. yourself so first, make exactly. sure you, yeah. So sometimes you just need a bit of a break and let your body recover those iron stores before mm. before re-engaging in, uh, in, in blood donation. Okay. And then how is iron deficiency diagnosed? So iron deficiency is diagnosed quite simply uh, it requires a blood test mm. uh, and, and there's no way around that. And, and, the, and you need two blood tests. You need to check your haemoglobin uh, or your full blood count and, and uh, another uh, examination called iron studies, which looks at your iron levels. So if uh, these days uh, people are having access to their pathology reports and, yes. and, and people are looking at them. So yeah, I'm, I'll just talk to you about how to read those, yeah, uh, that'd be great. Reports. Like, what is a normal one? What is yeah? Exactly. So when when you get those readings, there's an item called serum serum iron, and most people look at that and and measure and think that that measures their iron level, but that only measures the amount of free iron in the blood. Mm. The important 
uh, parameter to look at when you're looking at your lab reports is a thing called ferritin. Yes. Which is actually a measure of your iron stores. So if your ferritin levels are low, uh, then you're iron deficient. So a ferritin level less than 30 is usually diagnostic of uh, iron deficiency. So when you're looking at your reports, look at your ferritin level and not at your serum iron because the ferritin gives you the... Uh, uh, the indicator of what your iron stores are like, and that's what you really need to know. But at this, uh, I just want to emphasise that iron deficiency in itself is not a diagnosis. Okay. Okay, it tells you that you're deficient in iron, but it doesn't tell you why you're deficient. Mm. So when you find iron deficiency, it's uh, inherent in your doctor to determine what that cause is. Yes. Now, it may be bleeding. So uh, it's looking, making sure that you're looking for the actual root it, of the problem. That's right. Because yeah. if you don't fix the root and if you just fix the iron, then the problem just recurs. Mm. So, so we want, you know, the iron stores need to be uh, repleted and, 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 and recovered, but you need to stop the problem from happening in the first place. Yes. And it's a bit like, you know, having having a train wreck. It's mm. all very well going and fixing and helping the people at the wreck, yes. but you need to stop the train from crashing in the first yes. place. So there's a whole range of investigations that, that need to occur, uh, and, and some of it may require gastrointestinal investigations because some mm. of the bleeding, especially as you get older, could be coming from your gastrointestinal system, which may need a colonoscopy or an mm. endoscopy uh, to have. If it's nutritional, that's fine. Then that might need um, some dietary uh, adjustments. Uh, adjustments. Yeah, right. yeah. So that's and how um, often should you come and get your iron checked? You should get your iron checked if you've got symptoms suggestive of iron deficiency. So, so it's not one of those things that you think, oh, you know, uh, like a general checkup with, at your doctor's if you're feeling, you know, maybe fatigued or. <laughs> Well, if you're feeling fatigued and tired, that, that that would certainly be an indicator. But if you're perfectly well, then yep. there's there's really no indication no to do iron. Yep. Uh, if you've been iron deficient before, certainly uh, periodically getting your iron levels checked again is, is not a bad idea because mm. even though you might have had the original cause checked, there may be another another reason for that iron deficiency. And certainly but, one of the symptoms you mentioned earlier that brought really sparked my interest was the chest pain or... If someone's feeling chest pain, obviously they should always speak to their doctor, but should they be checking for iron at the same time or as doing the other standard investigations? Right. So uh, what, what can sometimes happen when, when you go in with a, with a problem or a symptom that's mm. suggestive of something else is that people get sidetracked yes. and, 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 you know, with chest pain, clearly you're excluding a cardiac problem yes. or, or a respiratory problem and sometimes you forget about uh, the, the other other issues that you need to look at. Uh, and that happens to all of us. Yes. Um, uh, you, you, you sort of focus on the immediate uh, issues that need to be excluded. Especially when the results come back normal and you think, oh, yeah. it's normal. Exactly. <laughs> Indigestion or, you know, but then is it something that maybe people go, oh, I wonder if it's my iron and they might not have had it checked or... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what are the current treatments for iron? Is it a case of just taking a tablet or...? Because <laughs> we seem to think that everything in life is solvable with a tablet. But yeah. what what's involved? Yeah, if, if only things it were that simple. It was that simple, simple. Yeah. Uh, uh, 
So if you're iron deficient, uh, I guess I, uh, I just want to deal with one of the myths about that. Yes. Is, is people believe that you can increase your dietary intake and correct it. Yes. Uh, but when you're deficient, you're so depleted that the amount you'd have to eat from a normal diet would, is just not uh, feasible. So if you're deficient, you need some form of supplementation. Once it's supplemented and corrected, then you can maintain it with a good diet. But when you're deficient, you, it, the iron uh, needs to be supplemented. And the supplements could be either oral or, or in some form of injectable preparation. Uh, there is a whole range of oral preparations available. And if you go to your local chemist, uh, you, uh, you, you'll see... Uh, Lots of those preparations. Mm. What's crucial? What I guess the what anno is annoying to us as practitioners is a lot of those iron preparations that are on the market don't have enough iron to replete your stores. And they've done a lot of documentaries on when they've analysed sometimes those nutritional supplements, and there's not often a lot of what they say is in there that might be of the amount that we actually need. <laughs> exactly, and and. Uh, and it's very uh, annoying to, to us because sometimes we, we ask our patients, you know, are you taking an iron supplement? Then they say yes. And we sort of assume that they're having enough. But if they're taking one of these preparations that doesn't have uh, sufficient quantities, yes, uh, that sort of gives us uh, the wrong information. Yeah. So just to give you some numbers on that, uh, Dana, so yeah. um, if you're iron deficient, you normally need about 100 um, milligrams of elemental iron. Now, to find the amount of elemental iron on any iron product, you actually have to look at the fine print on the label. Mm -hmm. And the manufacturers are a bit naughty in that they don't don't highlight that number. So it does require a, a, a close really... scrutiny of the label. Yes. And there's only you know half a dozen preparations that actually have that amount of iron. Mm -hmm. Many of the others don't. And a lot of them have somewhere in the range of about five milligrams uh, per dose, which mm. means that you need about 20 times the rec recommended dose on, on, on their label to mm. get. And when you take large quantities of these things, you end up getting in various intolerances. And, mm. and there's a lot of intolerance to oral iron, ranging okay. from nausea to constipation to diarrhea. So it is a it is a substance that that's not easy to take, and 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 we know that a lot of people are intolerant to it. There is a specific there's some guidelines around how to take it mm. because it interacts with food, it interacts with other medications. You need to take it on an empty stomach, so it is a bit of a hassle to take yeah. properly. And hopefully, when you've been prescribed iron your doctor or your pharmacist will actually give you those instructions yeah. and it's important that you follow they, them. they follow them yeah. uh, very, very closely. So the other option then, because I'm just putting myself in the shoes of someone that would be looking at treatment options, I know myself, I think, no, I think I'll go for the injection. <laughs> <laughs> so well, then what's involved with the injection? So what would someone have to do? They'd have to come to someone like yourself with that speciality. Right. So what, what's involved? How often would they come and how long are they sitting and having it done? So, so, yeah, so we don't want to uh, inject people unnecessarily. So we always no. want to try oral first, first okay. and, and then go to injections afterwards. Yeah. I don't know, you don't look old enough, but uh, <laughs> uh, but in the old days yes. uh, when I was first training, we used to give iron as an intramuscular injection. 
And, and were uh, they quite painful? They, I think someone's told me before they used to be quite painful. They, they were indeed. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, I'm sure a lot of your audience may remember. Yeah. So the problem with those injections was they were given into your buttock, into the muscle, but they had to be given uh, uh, over several several doses. So you'd get a weekly injection and you'd, you might end up with 12 or 15 of these injections. Wow. And the problem was that it left a stain, the iron would stain and it was painful. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, we, we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Unless there's some extenuating circumstances, uh, we certainly discourage uh, practitioners from doing that. Uh, we've got intravenous preparations now, which means putting a, a cannula into your arm and, uh, and infusing the iron directly into your bloodstream. And that's certainly quite safe. Mm. Uh, but like any any agent, there's a risk of allergy uh, mm-hmm. to, to the substance, but, but the risk is about one in 10,000, uh, but it needs to be carefully uh, monitored and, and yeah. performed. Uh, there are various iron preparations on the market and, uh, and the length of the infusion time varies on depending on which agent you're using. Yes. The ones we use in general practice can generally be infused over about 15 minutes. Huh. I guess uh, the side effects, there are, there are minor side effects with, uh, with the intravenous iron, ranging from headaches to flu-like symptoms, but they're usually short-lived mm. and not, not a huge problem. Uh, there's a, there is a risk that the iron, just as in the intramuscular form where you get staining of the skin, if the iron were to leak out of the vein, it mm. could stain your skin and, and leave a brown mark. Uh, but again, if the infusion is done correctly and carefully, that uh, that shouldn't be a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so have you got a situation where you've had a patient, I mean, you treat iron patients, as you say, every day, but for all of us that have, haven't suffered it before, what is that journey like for someone who perhaps has had iron deficiency and now they're treated and how, how would they be feeling? I think it's transformative. So... Because iron deficiency happens slowly, uh, people adapt to the symptoms. So a lot of people think, you know, they're getting tired because they're stressed at work yes. or, or, or they've, got the, they've got kids to look after or they attribute other reasons for their, for their tiredness. Um, and when you do the levels, you test them, find that they're iron deficient and, and then treat it, uh, they feel better and, and they don't realise how good they feel mm. t- till it's actually corrected. And their energy levels go up, they sleep better, they, their concentration improves, uh, they become less irritable and cranky, um, the work performance improves and it, and it literally tra- does transform their lives. Yeah. And, uh, and it's amazing. And, and once they see that, they actually see what their life should be like and uh, and and they never 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 go back from there. Yeah, and I suppose then that's when people become compliant to treatment because they realise without it, my life is just not of higher quality as what it is after. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're right because I guess one of the issues in medicine is getting people to stick to their treatment. And when people can't see a benefit, mm-hmm. it's a bit like taking cholesterol tablets uh, because you don't see the benefit. You think, well, why should I keep taking mm. this? Uh, because all I'm doing is treating numbers. But with iron, you actually see that you can feel the benefit. Yeah. So most patients are quite happy to to continue the treatment and keep keep an eye on things. Yeah. And so what are some myths that we all think about iron deficiency? 
I think the chief myth is that it's that it's not a serious condition. I, th- mm. I think we tend to minimise it, and and we've done that as practitioners too. I, I remember in in my early days of practice, with you know people would come in with tiredness, and and we'd say you know listen, go and try and try some iron, see how you go. If you feel better, great. But we never took it seriously. Mm. So I think we need to take it seriously. We n- and that means getting it, getting your levels tested, and getting the right treatment at the right dose and getting the cause, identify what the cause of that iron deficiency is and treat that. The, the other myth is I think people think it's not common, mm. and it is. Uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned that 12% figure. So, you know, that's one in 10, one in eight people walking out there are iron deficient. Yeah, so and they're attributing it to something, could be something totally exactly. else or just probably a rationalising it in some way, going, oh, as you say, it's stress, it's yeah. this, there, you know, there's always other yeah. reasons that we that we as, might be attributing things yeah. to. And, and I think we as health professionals have, uh, have been a bit tardy with this topic as well because uh, we've focused on anaemia, which is the end stage of iron deficiency, and we haven't addressed this at an earlier stage. And all the research and, and evidence is focused on the anaemia and, and it's only now that we're realising that correcting the problem at an earlier stage can still reap uh, significant benefits. And so then can iron then also affect um, not just our waking hours but also our sleeping hours or how our body even restores itself? So if you're, for instance, having issues with your sleep or are those sort of areas where you could think, oh, I wonder I haven't had my wonder what else is going on in my body that could be causing this. That's right. So it can certainly affect your sleep patterns uh, and, and, and because you're sort of fatigued and tired mm. and, and your system is just it's just cranking along pretty slowly, it, it can affect uh, all those parameters. Uh, so fix, fixing it does have um, sort of downstream benefits. Benefits. Certainly. And I suppose uh, what the other myth is that I think I think of too is you know, probably that old school mentality of, oh, I could be iron deficient, feeling a bit fatigued, I'll have a piece of steak. (laughs) (laughs) I think Australians would probably think, oh, well, I'll just have a nice big chunky piece of steak and that'll be be my saviour. But it's obviously the amount of iron that our body needs is probably a lot more than what we think it needs. And and it goes back to the fact that we minimise the the problem a bit. So I, I think if you're feeling tired, you really need to find out why that's the case. And and there's no way around that other than to get, get the test done. Yes. And then uh, depending on the results, uh, uh, acting on it. And really interacting with your GP to talk about it. Exactly. And, and like I said, I think... Uh, Health professionals, GPs, pharmacists have have been a little bit remiss in this area, mm. uh, but we're certainly doing a lot of work with them in terms of education and 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 getting them to be a bit more aware of this problem and 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 realise that there are some effective treatments available. Yeah, and hopefully this podcast will raise people's awareness as well of even myself thinking, when was the last time? I wouldn't even know what my iron is. So I think everyone even understanding that, one, it's important to our body and how it functions and have some awareness of what it is and maybe ask the question. I'd be I'd be interested to hear from your audience as to how many of them go and get their iron tested and 
and how many of them uh, discover that they're deficient. So. That's right. Definitely an Instagram post, that one. <laughs> <laughs> so what is some one or two ways that we can improve our iron, in, uh, our iron intake, do you think? Uh, probably not eating a steak. Uh, <laughs> Good. Uh, I'll note that. I, I think uh, a, a quick, uh, a quick way of uh, upping your iron intake is to actually eat some cereal each morning. Is that so, right? M- uh, cereals are now fortified with iron, and there's a truckload of iron in 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 cereals. So if you if you had a good bowl of cereal in the morning, that would uh, that would uh, go a long way. Towards, so that all uh, those people out there that aren't eating their breakfast in the morning because they don't have time, yeah. or their kids are rushing out of the with exactly. one of those squeezy bottle uh, <laughs> cereals, apparently. Um, maybe sitting down and having a good bowl of good old-fashioned uh, cereals. Yeah, and, is, and of not course, uh, you know, green leafy vegetables uh, are, are a good source as well. But And uh, is that organic or uh, doesn't matter what green, whether it's organic kale or... Or uh, not organic kale, it doesn't matter? Or? Uh, I don't think it does, but, but uh, no, not my understanding. Yes. I stand correction <laughs> on that, uh, but I don't believe there yeah, is. Yeah, no. so just green leafy vegetables, try and get some more of the rainbow in their diet. That's right. Yeah. Exactly right. All right. Well, thank you so much, and we'll be posting all your details and your website on the podcast episode notes. So for more information, people can come and have a look at what you do here at your clinic. Thank you, Danae. Okay, thank you. So a big thank you for the generosity of Dr Jai Surya and his team at Next Practice for sharing their knowledge and expertise. And to learn more about Dr Jai Surya and his practice, visit nextpracticehealth.com. And if you're concerned about your iron levels, please speak with your doctor. You've been listening to MediTalk, a podcast talking all things medical in a way that you can understand. You can follow MediTalk podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, please take a minute to subscribe, rate and review this podcast via iTunes or your podcasting app. If you have any health topics you would like to hear discussed, please email them to danae at meditalk.com.au. Thanks for listening.